0: Welcome to Startup Stories, where we go behind the scenes of some of the most interesting and innovative tech startups in the world. Each episode will bring you in-depth interviews with entrepreneurs and business leaders, sharing their personal stories on success, failure, and everything in between. So whether you're an entrepreneur yourself or someone that's just generally interested in the world of startups, then Startup Stories is the perfect place for you to gain insight and inspiration into some of the most exciting players in the game. So sit back, relax, and join us on a journey of Startup Stories. Hey, Christian. Hey, Jordan, how are you? Very good, thank you. Great to have you on the Startup Stories podcast. I've had a little look into your profile and I want the listeners here to actually know know who you are. So if you don't mind giving yourself a quick introduction, that would be great.
1: Uh, Sure, my name is Christian. I'm one of the founders of Impossible Cloud before impossible cloud uh, i had a number of roles in startups we can dive into that i started my career as a scientist so I, uh, I studied and did a phd in neuroscience postdoc in computational neuroscience and then switched into the startup world had roles at uh, Groupon Airbnb own startups and then some uh, some stints in the gaming industry with good game uh, a role at stillfront then i did a little detour into ai and now I'm here doing Impossible Cloud. So by all, all means, I, I'm happy to go into all of these uh, things, but that's the sort of thing condensed in uh, in one sentence.
0: Yeah, we'll dive into that in a little while. What I want to do is I want to understand who Christian really is. And the best way to do that is I want to understand you from your earliest possible context. So take me back to your childhood, tell me what life was like for you.
1: Well... Okay so childhood is an interesting of course uh, so in my childhood I think when I when I look back also in the context of where I am right now both of my parents were always working in their own professions my my dad was a doctor my mom was a physiotherapist and they were they had their own practices and they were always working always self-employed on the weekend there was like office work so I think in hindsight this was pretty strong role model I didn't of course take it uh, Understand it as a role model when I grew up, but like now in hindsight, I think it it, it was quite uh, is is still there. Like this this always on, always working, always being your own boss kind of thing. Uh, that that was something that was there all through my childhood. And as a result, I also had a lot of free time. I personally actually think that the, it's quite important that children have a lot of free time. Like it's it's kind of important to get to a point where, as a child, you get really bored. Um, because only then you start being really creative and make up these stories in your mind or build things in the forest or whatever. All of all of these super creative things. So many of my fondest childhood memories are actually born out of yeah being alone at home. Like my brother was six years older, so he was often kind of too like he wouldn't want to play with me. I don't know in the in the garden or in the in the forest or something. So I always had to
0: do things on my own and make up these like worlds. Love that and you talked about your parents your your father being a doctor and your mum being a physiotherapist self employed working all the time so as a child we all know that you you learn from what you see and you you reenact what you what your parents do and stuff like that but was there out of the two parents did any of them have a particular impact on you i mean both uh, you know my dad
1: he was not very much at home and like the the family wasn't necessarily like what you would call a happy happy family uh, like when I was a teenager, my, my parents finally divorced and kind of like uh, before that I had a long stint of like for possibly not being at home so much my, my dad. And so, you know, for a long time in my life, I had this kind of chip on my shoulder, like wanting to show my dad, you know, like because he, he was never there. He was never proud of me, kind of like that's how I felt. And so I had this chip on my shoulder. And I think, in hindsight, you know, that's one of the reasons I actually did this—that uh, I, that I launched into the science career. You know, I was always interested in science. Now, launching this science career to be able to have a doctor, my doctor title myself, and like, you know, really show him, look, look what I can do. And my mom, you know, my mom was very was always there. She was very loving, and like, I think overall, my mom had the larger had a larger influence on me.
0: Do you think you've made your dad proud now?
1: Oh, uh, for sure like uh, you know uh, at some point in my life i managed to just let go of all this anger and all these bad feelings and just like i don't know said okay enough is enough now it's it's okay and i think also as you grow older you understand that life is complex and uh, it's not quite always so black and white as one sees it as a teenager so i think nowadays i understand like uh, uh, him and like uh, his life a lot better than i did when i was you know 15
0: well, it sounds like you did the right thing about it. You channeled your energy into being progressive with your life. I mean, I've done my research on you and you <laughs> to me, it doesn't even look like you had a normal job or according to LinkedIn anyway, you were started a company during your PhD, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, at some point during my PhD, or actually I think a friend of mine kind of came up with this calculation of like his lifetime earning, Uh, live his lifetime's net earning in the job that he was doing like with a reasonable career development and so on and so forth and it came out at like uh, just just shy of two million or something and and i was like man that's so low because i kind of looked at these houses you know and like i don't know one of these houses were like i don't know how this was was so much so much more than these two million and then if this is his net earnings for the entire lifetime so i did my own calculation it was similarly kind of like a little bit deflated And then said, okay, look, what do I do to to improve the situation? Only science is probably not the way forward. Even though I I loved science, I loved being a PhD, uh, doing my PhD, I loved doing my postdocs, and uh, uh, I still think that is a very valuable career. Anyway, so then I started my first company during my PhD, just as a side project, like a moonshine business, as they call it. In hindsight, it wasn't very professional at all, but it did help me, together with the education to uh, land a role with Oliver Samba pretty much, you know, straight after my postdoc. And I got promoted from Oliver before I even started there. It was really interesting. So, uh, like, you know, Oliver Samba is this, like, uh, fabled character in uh, German startup land. And um, what he did more than possibly anybody else I know is he gave people huge tasks And then, of course, checked up on them, but just gave them huge responsibilities straight away. The same was true for me. I got a job with Rocket Internet, but before I even started that job, I was promoted to a managing director role at a local Groupon constituency in, in Australia. And this managing director title was not necessarily kind of like... Floated, You know, it was, it was not said, yeah, yeah, you're the director and so on and so forth. It was like, yeah, yeah, you go and start the company there. And only once we were there and we figured out, okay, okay, we have to call ourselves the directors here. Otherwise, you know, we can't hire people. We, we don't have no authority. So we had to figure it out ourselves. And of course, in, in like on a, on a CV, in hindsight, it looks so easy. It looks, oh, look, he's the manager director. But, um, you know, the reality was he just hired teams of really capable people and let these teams figure out extremely huge tasks themselves and i think that's a really good thing and that's something for example where we also try here at impossible cloud really giving people huge problems difficult problems and having them own it i think that really fulfilling and, and delivering a task gives you this extreme feeling of like satisfaction and happiness much more than i don't know having lots of tiny tasks that you work off and i don't know you know you're, little world and you feel like a a wheel in a big machinery like I think it's awesome to have these like big tasks that you own and you uh, fulfill and then you're like oh wow that
0: I'm really proud of having delivered this yeah and ultimately you're giving your employees ownership and freedom by the sounds of it which is from my experience being a recruiter myself you know when I deal with clients the companies that retain the people for the longest tend to be the companies that hire people for that reason not to tell them what to do but to let them Show them what they need to be doing in order to do their tasks. That's what they've been hired for. So, I like your that approach. Was that essentially what you were saying?
1: As well, yes. It creates its own problems, by the way. Of course, (laughs) like I tend to hire not into boxes, but I tend to hire individuals and try to uh, let them let them work in their fields of strength where they where they really feel strongest. But of course, you know, if you do that, every hire changes every other demand in hiring so you hire someone that's really good at i don't know uh, web free technology but you hire that person into your backend engineering team so you're like okay well now i basically have to change the the demands of that uh, web free engineer role that i had in mind because like well this person can already do lots of this task so I have to change the role, and then it has to be always kind of flexible to fit that puzzle together. So it has—it comes with its own challenges, but I think ultimately it's much better this way.
0: And I looked more into your profile. And I see that you've actually got eighty-seven endorsements for startups. So startups seems to be in your blood. What is it about startups that just gets you excited? Well. For starters, I
1: started quite a lot. Uh, so, <laughs> <laughs> so I started my first one during my PhD, a, a dating, a dating thing. I, I wish I would have come up with the uh, with Tinder. It was, that would have been uh, but back then. It was like a, an online to offline uh, concept. And then I did the roles at uh, GroupOn and Airbnb. Then I started my second company. This time already uh, venture backed, a space for art. It was called. And um, then uh, that didn't work out, unfortunately. So uh, then I did roles at Good Game and Stillfront. Then I joined my third startup. Well, I bought into the company. So it was kind of like at least, again, partially mine. But before I even started there, the, the pandemic started and then like I changed the dynamics completely. And now I started my fourth startup with Impossible Cloud. So yeah, I think uh, you can see why there's maybe uh, so many endorsements for, for startups there. Because I spend a lot of time in startups, building them myself, building other people's startups, joining startups, and so on and so forth. So, to be honest, I can't even imagine working in a corporate job. My time at Stillfront, you know, as a Nasdaq listed company, I was the chief commercial officer, was very different. And it was super experience and super interesting to do that. Uh, being in a NASDAQ-listed public listed company, and like, uh, startup is my thing. I I like it a lot better. There's this challenge to get from zero to one, from one to two, from two to three, and so on and so forth is awesome.
0: Yeah, I think I share the same views as you. So tell me about where did the idea for Impossible Cloud come from then?
1: So with Impossible Cloud, we did a lot of research and uh, essentially came up with this idea that there is a gap in the market for sort of uh, to, to reshape the internet. So, what we really want to do is we want to bridge the gap between uh, Web2 businesses that want to be in the cloud, that are in the cloud already, and Web3 technology. In a nutshell, we looked at the market and we're like, wow, cloud is amazing. And then even every subsector in the cloud and every subsector of every niche in the cloud is still huge. And it is huge, but then it's Nearly every sector is dominated by the same companies, you know, namely the AWSs, Azures and uh, GCPs of this world. And uh, their services are super expensive. Uh, Like at Good Game Stillfront, you know, we we must have spent hundreds of millions alone in cloud services from these companies. It's so extreme what you spend uh, on these services. And uh, when you really look into it, you're like, well, you know, that original promise from, I don't know, a decade ago of like, oh, you know, all this on-prem costs and stuff, it will go away when you go into the cloud. Nowadays, it's kind of the other way around. In, in, the, in Silicon Valley, for at least a few years, there's this talk about the AWS tax. So it's like it completely turned around. Like cloud is no longer a something that is cost effective and it makes things easier, but like it's super complex you know let alone the pricing model of something as simple as storage on amazon uh, fills tons of pages you know with lots of asterisks like here this this extra extra model and here is another tier and here is another pricing model here and there it's incredible so looking at that it's ripe for destruction uh, for disruption you know this industry is super pricey it's come to a point where it's like okay they're clearly milking the uh, cash cow there you know all of these businesses by by the way are using these cash cows to support other aspects of their uh, giant uh, businesses you know in amazon's case it's really obvious what they're doing so yeah you, you see that okay it's ripe for disruption you see the disruption is already already happening so the Disruption with uh, decentralized uh, cloud, you know, decentralized uh, Web3-based cloud offerings is already happening, but somehow they are not really taking off uh, in a significant way. Not saying that like uh, a company like Filecoin and Protocol Labs is not successful or something hugely successful, but on the scale of the cloud, they're not a big player yet. And we looked into why is this, and we believe it's uh, because there's so much friction for businesses to use it. So that's why we said, okay, let's bridge that gap between that disruptive technology and what enterprises, what business customers really need and want. They don't want any of this friction. They don't want to own wallets. Uh, You know, they don't want to have a discussion with their finance department about uh, the ability to buy tokens or these kind of things. What we've done is we just uh, reimagined cloud storage with a web-free technology backing. And bringing that to the
0: mass market that cloud industry already is. How long did you spend doing the research before you actually launched the company? To
1: be honest, uh, Kai and myself, we've been looking at business models for quite a while. Analyzing quite a wide range of business models uh, and never really fully kind of like at the the trigger point of like, "Mm, let's commit. With this one, we did in-depth research for about sort of three or four months before we said, okay, this is what we want to do. And then we found uh, Daniel as a co founder for exactly this business where his experience was like, just so perfect for exactly what we want to do. And and that's when things got got really going. And we started hiring the first,
0: uh, first people and so on and so forth. So many people, I would say have business ideas, not everybody actually turns them into a reality. So I always like to know, you know, you spent this time doing research, yes, you've got a good credibility from your previous work and stuff like that. But what made you think, you know what? This is a really good idea. I'm actually gonna turn it into a reality now. To be honest, like you don't know upfront. And in our case, we didn't even get
1: the confirmation that the idea was good from investors because we self-invested at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Given our backgrounds, we, we have enough financial backing ourselves to do like essentially the, the pre-seed round. So we did that ourselves. So we, so we didn't get that external validation then. And no one you get like people telling you yeah yeah this is an awesome idea and so on and so forth but you never really know and I think in hindsight I'm kind of happy that I didn't know many of the intricacies within this market and within these technologies that I know now. It's good to have a certain naivete at the beginning and then to learn to learn as, as you go. Generally, I think timing is is everything and what we saw with this particular idea, bridging the gap between uh, between web 2 businesses and web 3 technology is that the timing seems perfect right now. so uh, it's so timing you know like you have, you can have the best idea you can have the best team if the timing isn't right it's gonna be really difficult to do anything about it. So um, I think one thing that gave us a lot of conviction is that the timing seems perfect.
0: Yeah, and you just got to go with what's right at the time, right? You can't, even if it's not right, you've still got to try regardless. Because it is, as you say, fortunate that it was the right time. But as, at the same time, as you know, with, uh, from an entrepreneurial point of view, there never is quite the right time. Certain people, I'm, I'm speaking to the audience here, because some people are like, oh, when should I start my business? Maybe six months time or next year. There never really is a, a right time. You just got to do it and see what happens. Yeah.
1: The other thing, by the way, just uh, as a follow-up to, to what you just said or what you asked before, you know, why did you do it? The other reason we did it, Kai and myself uh, and Daniel say same, same thing, is we love how big the opportunity is. Yeah. So, uh, you know, in our case, uh, we, we, our case is slightly different to many founders and it's very different to how I started my first business or even my second business. With this business, you know, we already had tremendous success. You know, Good Game Studios, in the time that we were there, still had more than a billion dollars turnover. You know, over the years, counted all together, summed it all up. You know, it's more than a billion turnover. And still, Front, uh, where I was uh, in the, in the C level, Kai was uh, in the board. You know, at its peak, peak of the uh, the share price. You know, the market cap was, I think, exceeding three billion. So it's it's tremendous success there in the past. So for us, it was also a big motivator to be able to do something that really has the opportunity to become huge, to influence the future, to do something that's bigger than anything we've ever done to kind of like uh, really shape the world. You know, it's not a niche business that, yeah, you can maybe or uh, make, make a bit profitable or something, but it really is kind of furthering humanity, reshaping the way of the internet, Uh, you know, in the beginning and still now we're saying, let's reinvent the internet. That's kind of what we're doing. And to us, this is a big, big, big motivator. Every morning I get up and like, this is so cool. I can work on something that's like beyond what I ever dreamt of in terms of what is achievable.
0: Yeah, and that's just pure fulfillment and purpose. It sounds great, what you're doing. And I can actually say I can vouch for what you were saying about Good Games because I've been doing the German market from a recruitment point of view for the last nine years. So I've actually seen Good Games do what they've done. I've seen them many times, of course, from Hamburg and how, how much they've grown. Are they still going today?
1: Yes, of course. Good Game is still part of uh, Stillfront. I think it's one of the more successful studios within the Stillfront umbrella and uh yeah it's uh it's still going it's it's from here from where i stand right now it's like less than two two miles uh down the road there's the good game offices uh we still have many friends there and like uh you know have some ties but like no professional ties anymore like uh, you know no no longer working there but just Mm -hmm. of course you know each other and i don't know my dentist is still right next to the good game office
0: and so on and so on (laughs) So Impossible Cloud, you were founded in 2021, is that right? 2021, we founded the company, yes. So fast forward to now in the early stages of 2023, I just noticed that you've had your seed round of 7 million euros last month. So talk to me about where you're at right now from when the the idea, well, the company started in 2021.
1: When we started, we had just the vision of like, let's let's bridge this gap, let's do it let's somehow. Now it's a lot further. Now we have really a, a much more detailed roadmap of how we want to do it, how we want to get there, what is the product roadmap, and so on and so forth. We just uh, two weeks ago did the uh, put the general availability of our object storage offering live. So pretty much anyone, and especially every, any company, can sign up to our uh, object storage offering you know we support all the major functionalities versioning object lock uh, programmatic and reseller backend anything that you that you are used to from say the AWS S3 and um, you know AWS S3 is not just a product they also coined an API standard so we are S3 compatible as it's as it's called so it's a, it's a bit like a teaser in the in the German market you know like uh, it's not just a it's not just a brand but it's a it's a type of uh, thing as free compatibility. Um it's pretty amazing. So that's that's great. So that's our first foundational offering. It's a foundational service storage. It's not a it's not a you know cloud storage is not something exciting new or something but like we mm-hmm. have to make it different. But what's 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 exciting about it is like where are we going from here and the possibilities of offering additional cloud services on top of storage, so kind of storage plus or auxiliary things to storage, and then additional cloud services that build on top of storage are pretty limitless. So it's now just a a matter of prioritization of what other services are demanded and what we are building next.
0: So tell me, what's been the best part of your journey so far of Impossible
1: Cloud? I think one of the best moments so far was when the funding route finally closed. So that was a huge relief. It gave us this endorsement from really some of the biggest names um, in the VC world at a time where it wasn't very easy to raise money, actually. Uh, So when we started back in 2021, it was so easy to raise money. Especially with our backgrounds and, and Kai being the former founder of Good Game Studios, Good Game Studios is super successful. Kai and myself as a team. And then later on, once uh, once Daniel started, like the three of us as a team, super strong team. Like people were just basically saying, Shut up and take my money. But then we, we didn't want it. Like we were we said we were self-funded, you know, it's not that we had hired so many people, so we were like, Okay, let's, let's just do this with our own money, let's figure it out, and then we'll raise money when we're ready but then of course in 2022 the market turned entirely and all around us like the the warning signs kind of uh, went on And um, by the time we were ready to to actually do our own funding round, pretty much every VC was like super interested in talking to us. At the same time, many of them in the first conversations were like, well, look guys, you know, this is just about building a relationship. Right now, we're not doing any new investments. We're only investing in our portfolio companies, uh, extending their runways and so on and so forth. We're not doing any new investments. And they're like, okay, this is different. Very different to a year before when really it was yeah it would have, would have been so easy to to get money then but fast forward you know of course we found the, the right type of investors uh, we even had an oversubscribed round like once it became clear that we had two lead investors with uh, hv capital and 1kx then so many others were pouring in and saying like we want in we want in so then the sort of dynamic turned from oh it's so difficult to oh wow what do we do now uh, this is a luxury problem and that was a That was just fantastic. And then just pushing that through to to the end, like signing the the documents at the notary and then walking out thinking, cool, we've done this. You know, like three and a half months or something, it took us from uh, the very first conversation to actually doing uh, the notary signing. I think that was so far the highlight of this journey. And um, from now on, I hope that the highlights are much more sort of product focused, client focused, you know. Uh, reaching uh, revenue milestones re- reaching product milestones and so on. So it was a great feeling. Like for example, two weeks ago, when we pushed a button and uh, and and were like generally available, and we're like, okay, crazy. Now anyone in the in the world can start uh, storing data with us. And uh, sure enough, you know, you've got yeah that you you come back to your dashboard the next day, and there's some strange user using a backup solution that he, we've never ever heard about before to back up gigabytes and later by now terabytes of data onto our system we're like awesome this is completely awesome (laughs) so that's also a pretty good moment
0: excellent so now that you've got this this funding what does this mean for impossible cloud what are you now now able to do that you perhaps was holding you back before getting the funding
1: so um now we can really focus on building, building, you know, building that decentralized cloud that we so far have been talking a lot about, and of course we have the beginnings of, and really start disrupting the, you know, other cloud players, and eventually, you know, uh, right now what we're doing is, of course, we're, we're building, we're starting to build revenue, we're starting to get clients, and eventually we're a- aiming for some in route in twenty twenty four, and then really round by round, we'll work our ways uh, into really, truly disrupting that cloud space.
0: How big is Impossible Cloud now in terms of your headcount?
1: We are, I think, 22 employees, a few more new starters in the next months, and I think one or two freelancers.
0: And what's the the long term ambition? You say you want Impossible Cloud to be this next big thing. How, How far do you want to take the company? What's the ambitions?
1: Well, we want to, you know, reinvent the internet. You don't do that with twenty-five people only. <laughs> um, so, uh, I think there's quite ambitious hiring plans. So, for sure, with uh, the f- seed funding that we have right now, I don't think we can, like, you know, if you do the maths, you can't hire hundreds of people. So, it's step by step. You know, uh, I always like to think in, in in plans in kind of dimensional planning from a from a small to a medium to a, slightly bigger to a slightly bigger and so on and so forth so where do we want to take this yeah I mean at good game studios we had uh, at one point more than a thousand employees I don't shy away from that or even 10,000 or more but it's not about like uh, the employee count it's about the uh, sort of what you what what these people aren't able to do and um, yeah I think uh, as we grow and as we conquer vertical by vertical offer a rollout sort of a Cloud services on top of storage, and then auxiliary to storage, and so on and so forth. Yeah, there's there's so much to do. There's a, a, a world a world to conquer there, and uh, I hope that we can find many many people that join us over time to also fulfill that mission and that vision of really building a European cloud company that is different and is disrupting all those uh, staple U.S. cloud names that we all got used to.
0: What would you say is the most important part of a business or a startup, should we say, to have a successful startup? What with you being someone that's been in a lot of startups? This is a tough question. What is the
1: (laughs) most important thing? There's so many, there's so many important things. I would say one of the most important kind of things I always tend to tell people is try and try and try again. No one asks you ever how often you failed. So look back at the last uh, thirty-five minutes. You know you did not ask me how often you failed. I even told you how uh, that I failed a few times, but you never, you, you didn't sort of, kind of go into it and like uh, dug around the pain of like uh, one of my earliest uh, companies not working or something. And the same goes. Like in, I learned this lesson by the way in in science already. In science, what you do at a certain level is you you apply for funding. Yeah, for, so I applied for funding for my PhD, I applied for funding for my postdoc, you apply for funding all the time. And um, man, I got like so many, so many uh, rejections. It was unbelievable, like so many rejections. But no one ever asks you about how many rejections you got. People always ask you only and or are only interested in the one thing that you eventually got. So I think that's something that is a really important lesson and it's a really important thing to remember when you you build a startup or in general. Success doesn't just come and you do one thing and that's it. But there is underneath that kind of success uh, is a lot of failures, a lot of long hours, a lot of hard work, a lot of fears and I won't make it and all of these kind of things. And the interesting thing is people are generally not necessarily asking about these things they only see the success and then uh yeah judge you by that that's and that's that's okay but it's an important lesson as you build a company as you as you persist try again try again try 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 and try try again
0: yeah i think you're absolutely right i mean i actually was listening to a, a joe rogan podcast yesterday and he said success is like loads of layers of paint so you keep painting left to right it's so minuscule but over time you know let's say he was doing trying to make a success of this podcast after two to three hundred episodes maybe then that's when it goes as big as it can be but it takes time and it's the same concept with business like you just said you have to keep trying keep failing keep trying keep failing and over time those layers of paint will end up stacking up high enough one day
1: That's it, that's it. And uh, if you make that clear to yourselves, I think I try to do it all the time. You know, sometimes I succeed better, sometimes I succeed less. But if you remember that success is built on, you know, taking risks, on failing, on having self-doubts, on uh, taking a lot of criticism for anything that you do, uh, I don't know, on being able to sacrifice and having to sacrifice uh, things on, I don't know, late nights or weekend work and blah, blah, blah. Then it's easier to take all these things because you know that they're ultimately paying into succeeding at the end. So I think that's to me, that's, it always it makes it it makes it easier and it makes it more acceptable to do all these things and to then try again and fail. it makes it easier to accept that I have that concept in mind. This is all on the way to actually making it.
0: What's your biggest challenge right now? Hmm,
1: biggest challenge right now. So many challenges. You know, this is a very personal podcast, so I'll, I'll answer. I'll answer in the in that personal style. One of the things that I find quite incredible is that uh, as a founder, anything that you always say is taken, like it's taken, it's taken so serious. It's not possible to just uh, just be part or uh, or to just listen in. Or uh, so you always have that always on mentality you always have that i have to enable people i have to they all they all look at me there's always that pressure to do the right thing all the time i find that quite challenging it's also exhilarating i i, I kind of love it as well um <laughs> but it's it's uh, yeah it's a big challenge and uh i certainly it's certainly it's something that is even stronger in this business than than i experienced it before and it's it's different as a founder than it is as a manager. So, uh, you know, like I had, had these roles at, at Groupon, Airbnb and so on and so forth. I was the manager director, local founder or whatever they called it. That was cool, but I was still an employee. You know, same at Good Game or, or, or Stillfront. Uh, I, was still, I was still employed and it's different when the company is yours and uh, there, is, there is no boss. There is, you are the ultimate decider and everybody looks at you all the time to decide. So that's a that's that's a that's a big uh, it's big responsibility. It's fun, but it's also yeah challenging.
0: Yeah, but it looks like from your resume, you can clearly take the weight of that on your shoulders. <laughs> well, you, you, you yeah, <laughs> the best you I, can. <laughs> I, 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 li- I like
1: it. I mean, I wouldn't do it if I do, if I wouldn't like it. At the same time, of course, yeah. As I said, like it's it's challenging, but I but I like it and it's 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 fulfilling. You know, sometimes you
0: you do good things and you're like it's cool. Well, Christian, many would say. You know, you've achieved so much in your career. You've obviously done very well for yourself. Many would say you could sort of ride off into the sunset now and chill and enjoy (laughs) the calmer life. But so tell me what still to this day gets you out of bed in the morning? Why after everything you've achieved, do you still feel like you want to get out there and do such a thing?
1: Well, first of all, I did that. So uh, <laughs> you know, after, after buying into that AI company and then the pandemic and it really didn't work out at all and it got out of it with a, with a blue eye kind of thing, then I did travel for nearly a year and then fulfilled myself some dreams like uh, doing a skipper license and all of these kind of like wonderful things. And um, to be honest, I, I just came to the point where I wrote down some of the goals in my life. Maybe you know that book, The Big 5 for Life. It's quite it's quite, quite an interesting little no, book. No, I've not heard of that. Ah, it's a, it's a, it's a it's a fun book. I recommend reading it. Uh, it's it's not it's not the Bible or whatever, but like uh, you know, it's a it's a fun book and uh, the concept is you, you write down your big 5 for life. And one of these big 5 for life for me was like founding a company and really launching it to to become something really big. And once you once I realized this is one of the big achievements in my life that i really want to achieve aside from being a great dad or uh, you know uh, spending lots of time traveling all of these kind of like more regular things once you realize this is something that really drives you this gives me all the motivation you know to do all the things that i talked about like the hard work to getting up in the morning or whatever it is because i'm building my own i'm fulfilling my own dream and my following my own goals and that that it's a big realization that that at some point you, you, you have and you're like, okay, this is actually what I want to achieve with my life. And uh, I need to do, uh, to achieve this, I need to do what it takes to be able to achieve it.
0: I've just noted that down, big five for life. That sounds like a really interesting concept. And I have to say, from a selfish point of view, this is part of the reason why I do this podcast. Because hearing you talk so passionately about what you're doing with Impossible Cloud and your entire career... It's inspirational for me, you know, being a founder of my own company, uh, obviously nowhere near what, what you've achieved, but it, it just inspires me to, to want to do more. And I'm sure the listeners, it will either generally resonate and they can relate to it or it'll inspire them to maybe challenge them themselves or do something different. So I appreciate that. So lastly, I always like to end on what is the most important lesson that you've learned throughout your career?
1: we already touched on it i'll stick with that no nobody ever asks for uh, how how often you got rejected it's one of the more important uh, lessons for my life Mm -hmm. apart from that i think uh, i personally think it's very important to to accept that you have to love what you do and you do what you love and it sounds a bit sort of cheesy you know but at some point i think uh, i realized i need to get over this idea of like there's always something else and uh, the, there might be something else that's better or something is this there's always this kind of feeling in our society that FOMO like uh, something else might be better or s- I want to be somewhere else and I think that's all a bit sort of it's really about accepting what you do is exactly the right thing at the right time and just giving in and loving what you do and doing what you love is to me is very important and finally as you do that i think it also instills a sense of sort of gratefulness in yourself towards the world towards your own abilities towards yeah being able to 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 do that and uh and that again then leads to a bit of satisfaction in in, in you in, in yourself so like deep own rooted satisfaction that you can really rest in yourself and you're like okay this is good I do what I like I'm grateful to be able to do what I like I I love what I'm doing all of these kind of things I think are are important kind of realizations that help you overcome the many 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 distractions that this world has to offer and there are many FOMOs that one could have and just yeah let you live a much more satisfied and better more fulfilled life and really reach the goals that you set out to reach.
0: I have to say, I completely agree with you there. One of my favorite quotes is, comparison is the thief of joy. That's true. <laughs> Which is I very like... true. Well, Christian, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the Startup Stories podcast. Thank you for your time. Awesome. And speak to you very soon. Speak soon, John. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Startup Stories. I hope you enjoyed hearing from our guests and learning more about their journey in the startup world. I'll be back soon with another exciting episode featuring a new guest. So make sure to subscribe to Startup Stories so you never miss an episode. Also, don't forget to follow me on social media for updates and additional content. And if you have any suggestions for guests or topics you'd like to hear about, please reach out to me. And as always, I appreciate your support and feedback. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time.